Like if Elon's goal is like massive amounts of engagement on top of engagement on top of engagement, this is doing a great job of that. Right. Because it's also a version of like, uh, 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 you know how we talk about uh, like dunking quote yeah, retweets. Yeah, right, we talk right, about, right. It's like the the official the official dunk. It's the official yeah. dunk. Your right, take yeah. is actually awful yeah, based yeah. on like these resources. Provably, credibly neutral, <laughs> awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's so incredibly neutral. <laughs> Just engagement, like one oh one, right? Uh, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got an NAI boys here today, Jack Butcher. Trunk fan Bilal Zaidi. We're gonna go straight to meme of the week. Trunk, tee it up, mate. This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, boys. Uh, and it, it just speaks to why, you know, when people talk about, oh, what's going on on Twitter slash X? This can only happen on Twitter slash X, okay? It, it involves a celebrity and the uh, the website Cameo. You guys know Cameo where you ask a celebrity, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut we up. had a Cameo for NI, yeah. remember that? Back in so the day. this is the, yeah. So here's a tweet. It's from at Jersey Physicist. He goes and it just says this site is unreal. And he puts four frames of uh of an interaction that he found. So I'll just give you guys, I'm just gonna show you the first frame and the last frame, and I'll fill you out in the middle. So the first frame is this, people. Um, so for the listeners, I'll, I'll describe what's happening. So Basically, on Twitter, people realize that uh, if you've ever seen the show Breaking Bad, there's these uh, Mexican hitmen twins. I think they're Mexican, but the whole point is that they're twins. They're twins in real life. One's name is Luis Mancado, and another's name is Dan Daniel Mancado. So somebody realized that on Cameo, Daniel charges $500 for a Cameo, <laughs> and his incredible. twin brother charges $99. So... Somebody post this, this goes super viral. People are like, what's going on? How come these twins are charging such different rates? So uh, one user says, uh, one user goes, Luis has made $45,320. This is the guy that's charging less, $99. And Daniel, the guy that charges $500, has made $15,000. And this guy writes, just goes to show that the hard grinder with the low prices can make more money than the guy that overcharges. <laughs> so that's funny, right? Somebody replies, I think you're wrong here. I think Daniel and Luis are in this together. I think people are seeing the twins, realizing that one's 500 and one's 99. So they all go to the guy that's lower. Oh, that's price, incredible. Right? That's no, so him. good. <laughs> I, we're not done yet. See, that, that is like a, right now, that's a five out of 10. That's one dude. That, Little yeah, oligopoly here. Uh, yeah, you're, you're seeing that. You're like, wow, that's pretty funny. Uh, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if they're using this price anchoring effect, showing a high price and pushing everybody low price. Freaking Daniel Mencado replies to this thread. Remember, we're talking about the show Breaking Bad here. And Breaking Bad has some of the greatest memes in the history of the internet. I'm about to show you guys what Daniel Mencado replies with. So remember, people on the internet have basically said, we think these guys are running a scam. Look what Daniel Mancato posts. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Mancato posts an image of Walter Wright saying, you got me. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. This thing Fucking has like 300,000 internet interactions. Just incredible. like the greatest interaction ever. This guy comes in and is like, you got me. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, Love that they're just colluding. That is incredible. Yeah. They're just yeah. honest. They got all the bases covered there. 
Dude, they know that's... what they're doing. And they can do that's... each other's job, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. And split the funds. No one even yeah. knows. Dude, Hello. so uh, the TLDR is uh, internet's undefeated. Twitter X is irreplaceable. And that's one of the greatest lessons in of, uh, in, in price anchoring I've ever seen. Go. Anyway, All right. Love it. Blah. Smashing it, mate. Well, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to do a deep edge of the internet segment to take it back for the old school listeners. We're going to be talking about friend tech. Um, if you guys remember that, I think episode zero, episode one, we talked about BitClout, right? I think it was one of the way first early few episodes. On, way back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a 2023 version of that. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Brian Armstrong, uh, founder and CEO of Coinbase, and um, has been talking a little bit about getting around the App Store and the, the reasons uh, why you should be adding certain apps to, uh, to the home screen. Uh, and then there's an NFT update that Jack won't talk about, what's going on in OpenSea land. Um, and then Tron's going to be breaking down the ARM IPO. I, it might be the biggest IPO of the year, it looks like. So we're going to be talking about that. Vitalik on community notes. And at the end, we've got a nice philosophical question about the malleability of social reality to look well, at. Well, philosophical right question that Jack found from a Twitter shit post. Incredible. Again, Twitter X undefeated people. The it's the source. source. It's the firehose. The fountain of, of memes. Yeah, fountain of memes, exactly. So... Jack, over to you, mate. What is going on on Frentech side? You, you're the one who flagged it for us in our group chat. Um, yeah, I mean, we I read a little bit about it before, but I'll just let you uh, explain what it is. Wait, hold on, Jack. Before you jump in, I have to I have to make a comment. Jack's wearing a Costco wholesale hat. Oh, yeah, shit. I completely forgot wearing, to talk about that. And I'm wearing a Puma <laughs> gym shirt. I don't know if people have realized how hard the Puma gym gear is at Costco right now. Oh, incredible. I picked up five of these, bro. Kirkland, cold brew as well. Cold, <laughs> Jack is full. Jack's also got a Ford T-shirt on, by the way. He's fully, he's decked out today. Yeah. Merchant. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was gonna Thank say you. for people who couldn't zoom in on the hat, it's a red cap. You're wearing it, so we had to just clarify. Costco this is hat a, over here. This is a Costco veterans hat. This has been purchased from a ex Costco employee. Oh on wow. eBay. Bro, wow. that is not like you're not Respect. finding that on the rack. Collectible, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get that, Jack? Oh, someone got Celia it. Celia bought it for me. Celia got it for you. Yeah, yeah, off eBay. Yeah. Oh, Incredible. Goodness, she scoured out. Did, was this for your birthday, or was this uh, just a, couple a years ago? Gift? I don't know if it was a birthday. It just uh, just showed up. I think. Mate, yeah. that is wifey Incredible. there. Look at that. Indeed. Finding the merch. Indeed. All right. Cool. So, friend tech. What is it, Jack? We talked about bit bit clout back in the day. Um, I don't know if you've used it much, but what was Frentech? So I haven't used it, but let me give a little bit of my understanding of it. So little context setting, Coinbase shipped an L2 on Ethereum two months ago now, maybe. It's called Base. And the layman explanation of that is basically a cheaper blockchain that is at one layer abstracted from ethereum right so if a transaction costs you 10 bucks on ethereum it costs you 25 cents 50 cents on base depending on the, the the volume of traffic on the network at any given time so what that does is makes it more possible or inviting for people who want to develop apps that potentially have more use cases or can onboard more people because they don't cost, it doesn't cost 10 bucks, 20 bucks every time you interact with the chain, right? 
So one of the use cases that has emerged is this app called FriendTech, which the, the analogy that is being used is BitClout because there is this parallel between a like a access to people based on owning uh, like fractional shares in inverted commas of each account. They've since renamed shares to keys. And this idea of buying access to a private chat room with somebody. So it's, it, it takes the Twitter social graph. So you sign up with your Twitter account and a wallet. I think they've done, from what I've heard, they've done a great job of on, of like building an interface to onboard people more quickly than, you know, two, three years ago, we're talking about BitClout, which had, I don't even remember what the BitClout token, what chain that ran on or whether it was his own thing or whatever. This is like native to Ethereum. So there are people in a position to start using it straight away. And um, yeah, over the last week or so, it's just had this parabolic growth, um, probably $100 million of transaction volume. They have like a fee structure where buying and selling these keys generates fees for the accounts. So just by, there you go. What does this say? Yeah, 1.7 million transaction. The protocols earned 2,000 ETH. So what's that? 4 million bucks, thereabouts. Um, how many yeah, users is this? Though? How many thousand users. And oh. you, you can't you can necessarily attribute that to individuals, right? Because there are multiple addresses people are using. There are bots. There are things being automated. So I have no idea what the actual uses but um yeah just exploded over the last week or so uh you know phase banks the 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 gaming streaming fella there you go he's eighth yeah, on there, there so is. a lot of these guys on the top of the list here Toby. Uh, kobe's what up there legend, racer man. i think is on the founding team of the product and these other so top 10 to 20 clarify, are all big crypto twitter personalities people buying Essentially shares, they called it, but now it's called keys, you said. Yeah. On for Kobe's, like, the, so his price is basically going up and down. It says latest ETH price 2.3. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? That's the price to enter the private room, from my understanding, with Kobe in there reading and replying to comments. Gainsy so it's like, a, it's like a um, mm. OnlyFans on a bonding curve. I think there's been like a... <laughs> Only, wait, wait. Wait, did Only you come fans up with on that? The no, that no, 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 no. I've seen that. I've seen that thrown around. And, so and wait, is this a competitor to Twitter or is it a competitor to OnlyFans? I guess Twitter is turning into OnlyFans. So. I mean, neither, I don't think. Like, I think people have been um I don't know exactly where the where the difference between the two like where the founding team sees the difference between the two, right? Whereas OnlyFans is this like subscription model where you're paying a fixed amount for um period of months versus this having this dynamic pricing model and the the account earns based on the volume of transaction in and out of their private room. Right. There's a fee going to the the account for every time a key is bought and sold. So but the primary function is this access to people. So have very you been similar. in a private room? 
No, I haven't used the pro. I'm I, like, I just do not have the mental capacity for uh, another platform. I will yeah. not be participating. <laughs> so, so this actually brought me to questions like, what What are your thoughts? Is this thing, because I saw the chart that Bilal showed, the transaction volume that already did it. Is this one and done again? Is this another one that'll just be gone? I don't, I mean, I have no, I've like, I haven't used it. So it wouldn't be fair for me to say whether or not, um, you know, how long people will, will will stick around with it it's the the thing i think to solve is the like the cost of entry if if the you know top end content ends up costing five six grand a piece then it's that's a that's a small number of people that yeah, can access that right jack i think just to to clarify one thought from my side was paradigm but, just invested in it too sorry to oh, no, that's right. no no okay that's good to know yeah but i was gonna say because when bitcloud came well, I think it was like two years ago plus, right? And it was, the idea was, you know, you're kind of essentially buying shares or something in in a personality. So here on the TechCrunch article, it says, allows users to tokenize their likeness by selling shares of themselves to their followers who then become shareholders and can message the users directly. I know you said they're no longer shareholders. They're like key holders or something like that. But we bag all holders. understand bag holders, exactly. <laughs> but the key point there is it can message the users directly, which is what you said. That's kind of what you're selling in air quotes, which is access to that person um, versus before BitClout to me felt very much like, oh, you're buying a stake in this person's name. Like, and, mm -hmm. and like this, their name is going to be traded and it's going up and down based on just supply and demand, essentially. This one is probably got a similar dynamic in terms of dynamic pricing, I'm assuming, but they're trying to say it's about messaging the users directly. So there's like a room you said they can mm -hmm. go into or whatever. So uh, I guess the question is long-term, do people actually care enough to be paying for that access to those people? Or is it again, just a speculation thing and they're paying for it because they think the money that's going to go up in the future. And my hunch is it's probably the, the latter, but I guess we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll find out. How it, how well, you did describe there is that difference, right, Bilal? I think you, uh, you, that was a very uh, uh, illustrative difference you made there. It's like BitClub was clearly just number go up, right? There does seem to be some access here. Uh, I, I will say with the Bit, BitClub thing, it's just like, it's just, uh, in hindsight, it's just absurd, right? <laughs> the whole thing. Um, I think they're, Actually, I love your guys' thoughts on this because it's a more philosophical question. When you start assigning value to social capital, right, which is what's happening here. Similarly, what's happening with creator play payouts on Twitter and even them adding like impressions and bookmarks, they're assigning more numbers to what social capital is, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. Eugene Wei, who we've spoken about here in the past, has written extensively on social networks. He's got an incredible three-part series on TikTok, recently wrote about uh, how Twitter has changed under Elon. But his, he said something on the uh, uh, recently that I heard on a podcast, I believe it was with Ben Thompson, who has got mentioned once a month here. Uh, he said basically something to the effect of turning social capital, putting a number on it, is actually not a great thing. You want social capital to kind of be fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Like that that's how it functions, right? Well, that's interesting because you said the number, but I think it's more money because there's always been a number with a follow account and likes and stuff, right? Yeah, that's but you what want you, when one you put layer a monitor, of abstraction yeah. between yeah. your name and a, and a price. Yeah. When the price, when the price is actually there, 
it makes it a less fuzzy, right? Because you you guys know the drill with people that aren't quote unquote the richest people you know, but just know everyone. They wield a different type of power, right? And, and it's that fuzzy social capital. I had been thinking about that with uh, when when I saw Friend Tech. I'm like, man, I think BitClout was actually I think assigning a number to somebody is just not. I think that original thesis of a Nasdaq for people. I actually don't think it's good. I think. I think having that layer of abstraction and mystery for social capital is what makes it so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a different type of mental fortitude to endure that over a long period of time too. Like the stock price of a fortune 500 business, like you get paid 10 million bucks a year as a CEO to have your entire reputation staked on a single number, right? And that the compensation is consummate with how much pressure comes with that versus having that and not getting access to the same upside. Does that make sense? Like the mental, the mental fortitude or the, the change in mentality, like it's just, as you say, like as a social norm, it's we're, we're a ways away from that. But with the X stuff happening like it is the Overton window on attention and money is is widening right I think yeah definitely and I think Trung what you mentioned there earlier is is important to kind of call out as well because I think we you know we used to cover a lot of the crypto stuff when it was in the hype cycle in the beginning of the pod like every week we would have a new thing right and I think the conclusion to a lot of those discussions were is there utility here really or is it hype what's driving this is there is there actually a real use case which is kind of why i would always ask and so i think we're like having some time away from that now and like looking at this again as a another wave of like utility someone's actually trying to create something with utility it it, it reminds me a little bit of like the step in app remember we talked about that and i mm. used it for a while lost a little bit of money on that um it was one of those things where you know going in it's going to be stupid, but I was like, oh, I'll, I'll charge it to the game so I can do my research <laughs> here. But um, it was one of those things where, again, you're buying it because you want to earn some money from walking slash the price of the NFT going up or whatever. And there happens to be an idea of, oh, well, you can go and walk and you can, you're, it's good for you to go for a walk and you might make some money at the same time. But if you don't, well, at least you had a walk anyway. You know what I mean? So it was this kind of distraction around the core reason that someone was buying that in most cases was because they were like, oh, I can buy this for one and sell it for three. And so my opinion, again, with most of this stuff, by default, I assume it is that until proven otherwise. And for a long time, we've been looking for real utility um, in, in crypto. So I, it'd be interesting to see. I do, I do think when we talked about BitCloud originally, there was the positive side of it was we're all users of social media and we really we're the product. We're the ones getting monetized. We're not making any money from using Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, until very recently. I mean, obviously Twitter now, there are these payouts. Um, Instagram have just introduced them for reals. YouTube's obviously got it as well. But that is, I think, a positive direction where the users do make some money if they provide utility or they have the option to opt into it. So I think we are moving to that either way. And the question is, does it actually have to be on crypto rails? Does crypto actually allow new use cases that didn't exist otherwise? And I saw actually people talking about the creator payouts on Twitter that they did that very quickly and they were able to do that again without 
Twitter Rails, like they've literally uh, without Crypto Rails, sorry, they're just using Stripe essentially, right? And so um, it is interesting. I, I'm not against the idea of it. I think it's kind of a cool idea if people know going in what they're signing up for. It's kind of interesting, but yeah, similar to Jack, I, I haven't signed up and played around with it yet. Anything else on that? Go on, Tron. No, I was just say we uh, we should probably touch on the other uh, related stuff that Jack mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, so similarly, Brian Armstrong, Jack, you mentioned this just before the pod started. You said he tweeted out something around add to home screen. Well, that's um, how this thing works. So the yeah. the way they built this friend tech app is it's a progressive web app and you have to sign up on your phone. And there's like a gated, from what I understand, the the process to sign up is gated by adding the app in inverted commas to your home screen via the, you know, there's that shortcut in Safari where you can add a website as a, as an app yeah, icon. Yeah. So that obviously skirts around the economic requirements of the app store where any transaction going through something that is technically an app that, that comes through the app store, they want their 30% on the in-app items and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I'm a just lot pulling of people, up the, yeah, landing perfect. page here it says visit friend tech on a phone to install the app it doesn't I'm say sure, visit app store it says, i'm sure tim cook is looking at that positively i'm sure he's like oh you, yeah this is a smart move <laughs> tim well, this like, is a bizarre <laughs> it's a bizarre thing because brian armstrong tweeted out a direct quote tweet of like whoever is doing this at apple we're on your side we love you right which it seems like a bizarre uh way to draw attention to it but at the same time i guess getting out ahead of it is probably a reasonable way to Wait, approach sorry, it who, too. Who, who, who tweeted that out, you said? Ryan Armstrong. I'll find the tweet. Yeah, okay, got it, got it. That's so for, just to clarify, Brian Armstrong, uh, co-founder and CEO of Coinbase. Uh, for yeah. the, uh, for he the tweeted, listeners. shout out to the mobile Safari team at Apple for this brave act of civil disobedience. Know that you have friends on the outside who will protect you. Oh, you know what? Because uh, okay, let me let Sounds me, like let breaking me bad too, bro. Yeah. Let, yeah, sounds like the twins. Sounds like Daniel Mancada. Um, is there any more? Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. This is what. Here it is. Okay, let me let me give a little background on what's going on here, so, uh, before Jack talks about specifically crypto and app stores. I'm gonna talk about app store in general. So we've talked about in the past, app store, I believe, takes fifteen percent. Uh for uh well it's 30 percent was originally the number but they've been under a lot of a regulatory pressure uh for what people think is a usurious uh, rip or take so the initial iphone idea was we will only allow apps on the phone that go through the app store that because we don't want sketchy like you know, remember how microsoft used to have like a microsoft pc would there be like viruses every day <laughs> like that was a yeah, thesis yeah, yeah. behind apple right like steve jobs is like no no we're controlling the experience 100 incredible in yeah. in hindsight just like oh, how that incredible. is a chapter of history where man your windows pc i don't know what that experience is like now back in the day was day. insane do you remember like once oh a, once a month you'd have to run like the antivirus yeah, yeah, scan yeah. and <laughs> you you'd get be that like, exe in there somewhere <laughs> oh by the way half your computer is like a virus You'll oh, be like, oh, man. I thought I was Crazy. downloading soldierboy.mp3, but it was actually soldierboy.exe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just some ridiculous virus. Yeah. Dude, so like the Apple thesis when they did the App Store, I mean, it made a lot of sense, right? In 2008, you have to remember, like these mobile apps, totally new idea. 
And the model for Apple has always been tightly controlled the hardware and software. So the app store has also continued that model. And I think, I think the transaction within the app store has reached a trillion dollars lifetime, like something insane, right? Like, it's just like, we talk about this all the time. There's over, over 2 billion iPhones have been sold. Every one of them has an app in it. Over 1 billion installed iPhones now. It's like, it's the gateway to the internet for the richest people in the world. Like that's the reality, right? More people own Android phones. Great but quote, the wealthiest... by the way. Great quote. That's wrong. You got... <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go, right? Got, the richest sliver, of society... <laughs> richest sliver of society all use iPhone, right? I mean, that's, that's the true. joke. Like, like iPhone is 15% of all smartphones, but I think like 100% of all profits, right? Like something yeah. insane. So the App Store stuff more recently, last two, three years, people are realizing, oh, like this 30% tax, like, which is whiz, is the fee that developers pay to Apple when they transact through the app. It's it's quite onerous, but Apple's position has always been like, no, well, you know, like we make sure it's secure. And then what Jack's referring to actually is quite interesting. So there's something called anti-steering. So what that means is if you have the Amazon Kindle app, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will remember this, on the iPhone, you couldn't buy a book on Amazon. for It was the most annoying thing in the world. You could not buy directly on the Amazon Kindle app in the App Store because Amazon didn't want to give Apple 30% of that transaction, right? So for a long time, Apple wouldn't even let developers and I'm just using Kindle because a lot of people have it, but there's like, think about all the thousands of apps in there. You can even send an email to your users being like, oh, by the way, like you can purchase like outside of the app store. So that you, would get, you can, they would just, they would dump you off the. Yeah. Like you they wouldn't even let that. you do right. that. It's like, you're not even allowed to do that. So that is part of the regulators are like, well, that's the regulators have determined that's sketchy. Like you, you can't not do that. That's anti. That's truly anti-consumer type situation. Yeah. yeah, it's like you can't even tell people that they have other options. So um, that's changed. Uh, the thirty. So now I think they've been they're a little bit more lenient. If you make a million, up to a million, it's only fifteen percent. Or uh, and subscriptions, it's thirty percent year one and the fifty percent uh, in following years. So the barely AI app has does not have to worry about the thirty percent tax. There you go. <laughs> not, yet, not, not yet, not yet. Not yet. So like, uh, I, I've made a couple of jokes about bitching about the thirty percent tax, and then people have just been messing with me. He's like, dude, I don't think you're hitting the. Yeah, just yeah, let yeah. you know that yeah. I don't think you're hitting the cutoff. Yeah. But you're yeah, right, Thirty yeah, percent is really mind bending yeah. when you think it about it. It's closer to a process. Well, it's also thing. crazy, right? It's like because the history of the thirty percent tax goes back to the mid '80s. Like when you start thinking about the path dependence. So here mm. it was. This is the history of the the tax in the mid '80s. Nintendo was allowing third party developers to make games on their platform. Very rare. But some of them that did it, they're like, okay, well, we're going to charge you 15% just to be on our platform. Nintendo, fair enough. Good distribution. But we're also going to charge you 15% to manufacture the cartridge for you. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So right. half Seems that, super fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, you're nice. going to manufacture for us, but that has stayed for the past 40 years. Well, I'm yeah, I think the, the pro-Apple argument is like how many billions of dollars have they invested to build the platform and they're like yeah. recouping that 30 <laughs> years later a million it, times over right right but that's the that's like yeah that's the that's bounty that's right. like how many of those businesses would it, would exist without the right. app store in the first place is the argument too. and it's not and it's almost like a 
you're comparing it in an interesting, I don't know, the like I think about building a team or a business around an iPhone native game, for example, and the 30% like wouldn't even really come into your calculations, right? You would, you would, well, it would, but. No, you're factoring like that an, in though. You're you factoring like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're building with that. Like you're paying the 30% for access to the platform. And obviously the nuance of that is really hard to message to small teams. But at the same time, like imagine if Shopify charge you 30%. And this is the argument for crypto and the open internet and all of these things, which I think will go, will like neatly introduce us to our next topic, community notes and Vitalik's point on that. But the chaos and the wrangling of all like decentralized entities to come to consensus on something is much harder than, you know, the singular visionary that's like, we're going to build it this way and I am not going to budge on it whatsoever. And if you execute perfectly on that vision for 30 years then you're you know the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit and now they're eating the fruit <laughs> well, well jack what hold on a second blah, let, on, let me on. let me tie something up uh for jack because i did want to ask this specifically is uh so we're talking about uh so the, that's the background on the app store right but i, I did want to ask jack specifically about crypto in the app store because Jack had mentioned some interesting stuff pre-chat. I don't know, Blau, if that's where you're going. No, with I it. was just about to say the same because yeah. you it ties into the NFT open sea stuff with listing yeah, fees. Yeah, so let me let like me that. finish this thing. I'll pass it on to you to ask him about that. So what I was gonna say was this specifically was now going back to Brian Armstrong, that tweet that Blau had called mafia esque, like, oh thank you for the bravery. I think that I think that is part of this regulatory thing. Apple is not quite saying they, they gotta loosen it up a bit, right? So they're letting you drag like that website to the home screen. So it's kind of like an app. There's still friction. They're not letting you download it. It's similar to an app, to be honest, because yeah. a lot of them nowadays totally. are essentially web apps in the app form. You can design that, in, right? And if you get one of those take off with decent network effect, it really does like potentially really disrupt this stuff, especially with what you can build in a browser. And the reason these guys use Safari, like it is only limited to Safari too, because you can't, Chrome doesn't have that functionality because it's not as deeply integrated with iOS, right? So the, exactly. yeah, that's right. That's right. The, the, the Apple native browser allows you to do that. And then I don't know what the flow is here, but even Apple pay would kind of get you around that, right? Like if you go to amazon.com on your phone, you could pay with Apple Pay. Apple's not taking a cut of that. So it like it does start to get into the the minutia or the nuance of like what is a product, what are you buying versus what is like an in-app item and that's where this NFT uh discussion gets complicated. OpenSea shipped an app where you can only browse. You can't buy or sell because there would be a 30% tax on uh, buying items, I'm assuming. And if it's a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, it just doesn't work, right? Imagine if we just talked about it before we started recording, if eBay, eBay must have an app, surely, but maybe it's just a, I don't know, maybe they don't. But if you said to eBay, we're going to take 30% of every transaction that goes through the app, that completely invalidates the, the business model, right? Yes, 100%. 
hundred percent. So this is what you're saying now. So uh, Blau mentioned it is like let's take. So did you already address the open sea removing the royalties or? No, no, no. This is uh, the last couple of weeks. NFT royalties basically. I think they're honoring some of them for a month or so, and then it's going to zero. So really, at the beginning of this of this whole NFT thing, there was like as a whoever created that piece in the first place could set the royalty percentage. And when OpenSea was the only player that they could enforce it. Right. But the reality of this world is that this is, these are permissionless things that are deployed on transparent networks. So anybody can build a front end and get around that, that royalty that was very similar to the app store enforced through OpenSea's front end, basically, and some contracts that they shipped. They then built this thing last year called the operator filter, which helped. I may get some of the technicalities wrong here, but hopefully generally speaking, I'm correct. They shipped this operator filter that allowed you to block other marketplaces. So if I want to ship a collection, I could say I want it traded exclusively on OpenSea. So I get some of those royalties on secondary sales and for a while that worked and then more and more marketplaces found ways to get around that. So all the volume moved off OpenSea to Blur, which we talked about a couple months ago. And then um, this week they announced that they're, oh no, sorry, a couple months ago, I don't know if we covered this. They said they're only going to enforce minimum royalties, so 0.5%. And that's in response to Blur doing that from the start. So they match that. Now they're saying they're sunsetting this operator filter support. So they're not going to su provide support for people block, like black, uh, sorry, block, blocking or blacklisting collections on other platforms. And two days after they announced that, so they basically said there will be no royalties enforced at this point forward. Two days after they announced that, they said, we are going to charge half a percent for listing. So they, they flipped completely on the, the, the creator royalty and then added a cost to participating even as a seller. It's very, What's the net net? Does that hurt? Oh, so does that hurt creators or hurt? So like, what is the net of all this? Who is benefiting? Who's getting hurt? I mean, I think they are trying to, I don't know. I really don't understand the decision from- It from sounds a, like you, as a creator, like you're the NFT creator in your case. Right, you would be getting hit there because you you're no longer sure, getting royalties, yeah, yeah. for sure, that's and you're true. paying a listing fee, so it's gone from one side to the other. But I guess their argument might be they need to find a model where they can make money, and they're now taking it from your side versus the other side. I guess. So Yuga Labs, the guys that did Board Ape Yacht Club, came out a couple of days after this and said we're working on a way to block OpenSea, and they've done. I think their collections have paid OpenSea 100 mil in fees in the last couple of years. That's and that's probably like north of 50% of their trading volume comes from these guys. I don't know if it's that big, but it is a huge chunk. And they potentially have the network effect to build their own marketplaces, right? They can they have the the pull and the the established brand to maybe uh start their own thing and and prevent open sea from cashing in on on the like secondary activity of their collections it's all kind of up in the air right now but it has definitely the entire narrative around 
royalties has changed in the last few weeks where I th- in my mind, this is just the, the progression of markets, right? People just find a way to make transactions cheaper. This also happened in uh, traditional markets, however many years ago with Robin Hoods of the world and they monet like exchanges that find a way to monetize by, what is it? Payment for order flow to big institutions. And then they let retail in, uh, execute for, for free. free. So yeah, I think there's uh it's like, weirdly it's the, it's the maturity of it happening, but it's also a byproduct of that maturity is basically directly affecting the people that contributed for the first two years of this thing growing. And it remains to be seen whether or not OpenSea can even generate like revenue in a, in a meaningful way from these changes, because there's only like, I don't know, 10,000 active wallets trading on OpenSea these days. Like it's really like it is the all time low volume. Um, and you've got to imagine that most people are sort of really in tune with the the culture of it. That's why this is different than even like big retailers changing their policy or the app store changing their policy. Because the people that are participating are like deeply involved uh, or deeply uh, paying attention to every decision. It's like people don't stop using Amazon when uh, the policy, you know, the the fee policy changes slightly and the, the the network effect of it is so big, it doesn't really change anything. But in this case with OpenSea, it's like every announcement they make is like, there's not that many people left doing this stuff. So it's, it's, there's huge risk in that, obviously. Yeah. So it's not a $12 billion company anymore is what Bilal is trying to say. <laughs> well, well, Jack, I was going to say you, I mean, I'm just looking at OpenSea right now. Your NFT, even today, is the third biggest collection on OpenSea Woo! at the moment, right? Like Bored Ape, Mutant Ape, OpenPen. That's you, right? Number three. Yeah, yeah. So, you, and you've got another one which maybe has dropped down the ranks right now, but like you, you're one of the leading people in this space in terms of creating stuff that goes on their platform. So, I think you have a really valid opinion to share. So, I'm just curious to understand, like, from your point of view, that, does it change the way you treat OpenSea versus the other platforms? For example, if you launch another NFT in the future collection, would you consider going only on the other platforms where they do allow the more creator-friendly things? Or would, or, or, or I guess the distribution of OpenSea is so large that you kind of need to be on there. What you yeah, I mean, I think the I've had this conversation a few times and I haven't really processed all of this. So I might not be speaking that clearly about it, but... One point I made a few months ago is I like weirdly the people that benefit most from royalties are the people that need it the least. And, and like, there's just this very weird relationship with it where I think the way it gets argued is, you know, artists that don't have a ton of exposure or people that are creating digital objects that don't have massive network effects, love the idea of getting paid in perpetuity as that stuff trades, you know, on the secondary market. But it's like this chicken and egg thing where if you don't have that attention, there is no like volume on the secondary market. So it doesn't really make that much difference. And if you are in the position where you're earning royalties, you have this reputation that allows you to make new stuff. You get what I'm saying? Like the, your ability to mint new objects and charge for them is your, uh, 
these things are clashing into each other because there's this this scarcity argument with NFTs, right? Everybody wants this to be the last thing you ever create because they want the supply to remain small. They want the collectible, uh, the supply of collectibles to mm. be small. But at the same time, you're only, if you're like really native to this world, your only way to continue to monetize is to create new objects, right? Ship new product, basically. And the, the, the culture of it has to change where you have these staggered degrees of scarcity within the entirety of the ecosystem you're building, right? Like Ferrari sells Puma trainers for 50 bucks. They also sell an 812 Superfast for $600,000, right? The Ferrari brand is stamped on both of those things, but those objects have different relative value and utility and all that stuff. And I recognize that sounds insane when you talk about two different pictures on the internet, but there is <laughs> relative value in the way things are made and assigned provenance and, you know, the, the relationship they have to other things. And yeah, one is more rare than the other two in that case. Right. Right. And as like, and utility, obviously. Yeah. So this idea of scarcity in my mind is actually killing this medium. Like the, the fact that people are afraid to make more stuff. Like if you're a digital artist, make digital art, mint digital art, sell digital art. That's, that's what you should do. Like, and the, the, the hyper-financialization of all this stuff has messed with people's brains in a way that, I don't know, the royalty debate really felt like the thing that got people outside of this world to get it and, and it being destroyed is really messing with people, you know? Like, I remember my uh, Celia's uncle, that's the one thing that he clung on to. He's like, oh, so when it gets traded on on the secondary market, you get a small fee for that. I was like, yeah. He's like, that's insane. Right. Like he builds houses and he's like, well, if I got 1% every time somebody like moved in and out of a house, I built, that'd be incredible. This, the, it's this, sorry to make a sailor reference, but it's like, everybody's trying to get something for nothing, right? Everybody wants to work once and get paid infinitely. And the idea of that, translating into a world like this felt super native, but because it's built on this permissionless infrastructure, the market always wins. The market always builds something that creates for the fastest transaction, the cheapest transaction, the blah, 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 the, the original intent or the original like attribution be damned. So man, it's all up in the air right now, but it's uh, it fundamentally changes how and why people are going to interact with this stuff. And we're also seeing stuff like this base chain that Coinbase shipped. People are putting out collections on there for, you know, it's a dollar to mint these things, $2 to mint these things. You can collect this stuff without this culture of, oh, we're only going to make a thousand of these. And then our job is to try and inflate the value of these thousand things to infinity. Very different than, um, what's happening today where it's just making stuff, minting stuff, like establishing a portfolio of work as a digital artist on these cheaper chains. So the whole culture of it is kind of going through this insane uh, 
almost inversion of itself. So we'll see how it all plays out. Very interesting, man. Yeah, th- good to get your perspective on that. Trying any thoughts, mate, before we move on to Vitalik community notes? I love uh, just what you mentioned below, like Jack's ranking. Very valid Gotta let him know, you know what I mean? Yeah, gotta (laughs) let him know. These are valid thoughts. I got no, the only thing I'd add is uh, I'm trying to see if they're changing on the royalty actually makes more sense in in reference to or in relation to App Store. I don't know how much of that is a motivation. But if the transactions are happening more, then that's more likely to happen within an app. Whereas if you're doing a listing fee, the listing fee, yeah, the listing fee is one time. So maybe they want people just to list off the app and that's where the revenue comes from. It does seem like a, a way to basically prevent a rip. I think people, I mean, the reality, and we talked about it before the chat, is like, man, the bottleneck that uh, of, of mainstream, mainstream crypto adoption is like, it's reality, right? People spend all their time on their phones. Like this is where they live mm-hmm. with their internet. And if Tim, if Tim Apple is deciding that uh, <laughs> he wants thirty percent of everything, like, well, Jack, you said it. What did you say? Is like the thirty percent just destroys crypto economics, right? It's like mm-hmm. <laughs> the entire point is like low friction. Well, this uh, yeah, this idea of ownership. That's the idea that is the central to this point. Is you can charge a thirty percent fee on an ebook because the person doesn't own the ebook, right? The idea of charging 30% in a peer-to-peer transaction where Trung, I'm selling you a copy of this ebook that I bought for 10 bucks and I get seven bucks back, then you sell it and you get five bucks. And then it just Apple just eats the margin on that till it goes to zero. It's just a completely fundamental shift philosophically in whether or not you can own digital things or you can transact in digital objects. And most of the world still does not believe that that should be a thing. And Apple, I mean, I can't even imagine how that court case played out. But the the crypto being part of that discussion feels like, still feels like miles away. The other point I should have brought up on the OpenSea thing is the way they framed the 5% fee, the listing fee, was also for like more accurate market data so if you're not charging anything to list then people are just like doing massive high volume trading on this stuff it's not it's not introducing this friction of like maybe something that is more akin to an ebay right where somebody is is paying a fee to have distribution for to broadcast this offer that they put out to the market versus you know, these things acting like back and forth anonymous exchanges. So we'll see how it plays out. Certainly, yeah. I mean, smart people that built this thing, it's, it's, uh, they got more information than anyone, anyone else, but it's, uh, fascinating. We'll see. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I think that comparison to eBay is interesting because to me, that feels like the closest comparison. Obviously, eBay transaction volume, I'm sure, is. I don't know the numbers. I'm assuming way larger, but uh, but they all. But also, it's physical goods most of the time versus digital goods. So I have no idea of actual volume on that one. But yeah, that's interesting. All right, nice one, Jack, for that summary. Let's move on to the next topic here. We've got Vitalik wrote a piece on community notes. 
Trung, I know you were reading this one. Do you want to share what, what he's talking about? Yeah, so I'll give uh, I'll just give the listeners a TLDR on what uh, Community Notes is uh, for people that aren't addicted to X and Twitter, which is probably a lot of this uh, audience. Actually, I don't know. We should do a survey to see how many are addicted to X. I'm pretty Twitter. sure most are using it for sure, <laughs> like primarily. But yeah, I don't know That's about addicted true. is a strong word. Yeah. Um. So Community Notes is a like crowdsourced fact checking. Uh. Um. It, it. You know. Some people are comparing it to how like the Wikipedia has editors, but you'll see often contentious tweets, political, cultural, uh, sports related, and then you'll know it's wrong and community notes will just append something underneath the tweet. Uh, and, and the way it works right now is uh, uh, if, if you meet the following criteria on your X account, uh, you've been active for six months, no recent rules violations and a verified phone number, you can participate in community notes. What that means is you basically can assign uh, somebody writes a community note on a tweet and you can assign one of three values, helpful, someone, somewhat helpful or not helpful at all. So that's what you can do. And then once you have done enough of those votes and it, and it looks like how you vote is consistent with the final result. If you vote a lot and your votes end up being consistent with whatever the final result is, you get a right to start, you, you're allowed to start writing notes. So like there's layers to how you can participate, right? Uh, if you're just being a jackass and you're just like be Mr. Contrarian or Mrs. Contrarian, do the opposite of what everybody wants, you're not going to get the rights because what this is trying to do is being a neutral fact-checking device and no political, no, trying to remove political bias or find the central uh, resolution. And it, is there, I is there found it. I was Go ahead, say, Jess. Is, is there parallels to how Wikipedia works in it or not? Wikipedia has much less emphasis on finding quote unquote the middle ground. It's it's more uh, concentrated now in kind of like there's a lot of seniority in Wikipedia now. Mm -hmm. Like if you've been there for a long time, you have a certain ranking and reputation. Uh, I know that some people think Wikipedia uh, editors are more quote unquote left leaning. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't I I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the research is on that, but there are I mean there are a lot of Wikipedia flame wars to be sure. I mean. We're talking about 6,000 people or under 10,000 people like managing the greatest resource of like information yeah, ever. That's crazy. So difficult, right? Community notes is interesting because, and this is what Vitalik wrote. This is why it's relevant to what we just talked about. He goes, what interests me most about community notes is how despite not being a quote unquote crypto project, it might be the closest to instantiation of crypto values that we have seen in the mainstream world. Community notes are not written or curated by some centrally selected set of experts. I guess I guess that's probably more Wikipedia because there is that group of under 10,000, right? And then Vital continues, rather, community notes can be written and voted on by anyone. And which notes are shown or not shown is decided entirely by an open source algorithm. So that's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And then he goes, the X Twitter site has a detailed and extensive guide describing how the algo works, and you can download the data containing which notes and votes have been published. Run the algo locally and verify yourself. So there is this transparent, decentralized aspect. I guess that's what he means by this, the crypto values. Uh, he says uh, community notes is not perfect, but it's surprisingly close to satisfying the idea of credible neutrality all while being impressively useful, even under contentious conditions. So let me ask you guys, what do you guys think about community notes? Bala okay. first. Uh, I, I think it's pretty good. I mean, I haven't used this. I haven't, I've never written anything for it, but just seeing it pop up when someone writes something, 
like we joke about on the show all the time, but most of us are never really doing that Google search to actually verify what we're reading. So a lot and even of the if time, you did, even yeah, if you did, how do you confusing. even know what to search for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. So I think it's always helpful to see, but I haven't really thought about it deeply enough to think is the fact checking accurate as well. I, my assumption is it is, but I haven't well, really dug into it enough. And in, in a lot of the, um, like real, when people are fact checking a particular story, they'll provide sources too, right? They'll yes. like multiple sources will be attached oh, underneath. Yeah. Um, but it's always, is it basically always the highest voted note on a single, uh, tweet do you know the mechanics of it it's not they're not yeah, like so, collaboratively written right it's like one so person's is, note arrives at the top you know that this is where it gets interesting this is why vitalik found that had quote unquote credible neutrality so obviously when you hear elon talking about it i know a lot of people think that uh, his uh, uh interactions are coded more right-wing now right he the, the 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 tension being that a lot of his main projects are obviously liberal projects, left-wing, and he used... It, it, that's besides the point. Take Elon out of it. It's an open-source algo. So this is what Vitalik said. He he looked into the, the, the notes, and I'm probably going to butcher the mechanics, but basically, to Jack's question, it's not an average of the votes uh, as a number. What it is, is do people that typically disagree with each other based on voting history, and I guess they code a little bit on maybe their interactions on the website would people that typically disagree with each other, if they end up agreeing on this note, then that is a very strong signal that this is a credibly neutral note. So that's interesting, right? That's cool. You take somebody that's super right wing or super left wing based on the previous voting. Uh, uh, and then you see them agree on something that is the strongest signal of that, that note being something that is neutral. So it's, it's dynamic. It's like they, they didn't hard code what a left or right leaning person is. They're allowing their voting histories and their interactions to determine what where an individual falls. So I think that's where the credible neutrality comes in. I mean, for our purposes, Bilal, you nailed it. It's like, it's just hysterical, right? It's like some of the, like the ones that go viral. So for the people that don't really follow community notes closely, there's like a, there's like a, a sub industry of people collecting and aggregating the funniest community notes. Like a couple of weeks ago, there was like a, like a 17 year old kid's like, I became a millionaire at 17. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he had a picture of his Ferrari and the community note underneath goes, uh, this Ferrari is a rental car. You can see the label here. <laughs> and like, and like just stuff like that, people getting absolutely bodied. But I mean, like they've done serious, I found it really useful on like the most inflammatory things, right? Like people are engagement farming all the time around like this Maui, this awful Maui uh, uh, thing that happened. Sorry. Oh, here's one. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, this jokes. <laughs> so, well, okay. So, uh, Bilal, explain what this is. Bilal pulled up a community I just note. pulled it up. Sorry, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was just pulling it up. But this is extremely damaging. It's child abuse, dinner with a 90-year-old teen mom with two toddlers. And then the community note says, feeding your children pepperoni pizza is not abusive. It's just like, there's a lot of kind of semi-funny ones on here. You know what but, else is interesting about it is it is like another engagement amplifier. Like the, the community note becomes like another layer of context that gets rocketed up again, like to Bilal's, the example you just shared. Like if Elon's goal is like massive yeah. amounts of engagement on top of engagement on top of engagement, this is doing 
a great job of that. Right, because it's also a version of like, uh, 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 you know how we talk about uh, like dunking? Quote, yeah, retweets, yeah, right, we right, about, right. It's like it's the, the, official, that, right? the official dunk. It's the official yeah. dunk. Your right, take yeah. is actually awful yeah, based yeah, on yeah. like these resources. Provably, credibly neutral, <laughs> awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's such incredibly neutral. <laughs> Just engagement, like 101, right? Dude, here's a funny thing. Elon's been community noted a ton, right? Yeah. Like this is what we're talking about. It's like the the owner of the website uh, uh, who has a Same lot of one enemies, right now of, yeah, of that, where it says Elon Musk cannot do this. The future to block some oh, yeah. sites required. <laughs> yeah. That was the one. This I was is a great example. For. You got okay, it up, uh, yeah. pull it up. So Elon, uh, we should mention this briefly. He's thinking about getting rid of the block feature on uh, on Twitter, which got a lot of people upset. Uh, I actually think if you just make the mute. Thing really powerful it's basically the same but anyways uh Bilal, read what yeah so uh, elon musk says block is going to be deleted as a feature except for dms and a reader's added context elon musk cannot do this the feature to block someone on the site is required as a social media app <laughs> to be allowed on the app store well, you know what, and the though? google play store you know what though that's actually not true he can do it right that statement is incorrect you say he can he, do it he, he can can't buy- do it with Without breaking the Break. rules that would yeah. make yeah, the yeah, app yeah. distributed, yeah. That yeah, needs to get a that's that an extra to get community note. note. Jack's it's gonna be on Inception the community, community notes. Yeah, the, like the debate. Yeah, I wish I uh, I wish that was more of a part of um, I don't know where that comes from. I've seen it on TV, I guess. But the debate culture, in yeah. American uh, movies Baked growing team. up. Yeah, get yeah, on the debate yeah. team. Oh, Cisco, my school Cisco did not have Ebert. a debate team. Debate boys. team, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Let what me, was that uh, film? The Great Debaters. Did you ever guys ever see that? Never saw that one. Let me uh, blah while you're pulling Good that film. up. Good film. Wait, I put it. That was a Denzel film. Sorry, uh, underrated film. Seven point five IMDb. Oh my goodness! Here Raffle, we go. Sorry. Put that uh, flicker by Reco of the week. Yeah, we go. Sorry, uh, go on, go. On. What are you gonna say? Yeah, I'm just gonna finish with Vitalik's thoughts. Obviously, he doesn't think it's perfect, so he goes. This is what it concludes with. Uh, algorithmic transparency of the type that community notes offers is not quite full on decentralized social media. You know what it is? Friend tech. <laughs> we go. He goes, <laughs> if you disagree with how community notes works, there's no way to see a view of the same content with a different algo, but it's the closest that very large scale applications are going to get within the next couple of years. And we can see that it provides a lot of value already, both by preventing centralized manipulation and by ensuring that platforms do not engage in such manipulation can get proper credit for doing so. Here's a question for you, boys. Interesting. What do you think about the morality of monetizing community note contributions? <laughs> I was just thinking if Jack was doing this, he'd be selling those community notes as NFTs <laughs> when I made the joke earlier. But no, but what do you mean? Uh, like in what way? Like as, like- a, as a community note participant, voter, writer, etc. Like if I'm getting paid for generating impressions by doing inflammatory oh, yeah. shit, you should, should also there not be, be an incentive. Rewarded. Should there not be an incentive or is it does it make sense? What 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 behavior would this produce if you paid people for like to find the community that. notes on a tweet that has 10 million impressions, some of that ad revenue goes to the people who community noted the thing because now we're having yeah. like there's almost this perverse incentive to write something fake that is get community divisive. noted amplify it up yeah, I, think, I think you answered it man you cannot monetize community <laughs> yeah the, this, no but it's a good point because it actually brings up what's happening right now with 
as much as we're all fans of people being paid out for their hard work writing a bunch of stuff on the internet, I'm seeing it on. You saw I was accidentally in my uh, Arsenal Twitter account just there. My Twitter feed on Arsenal is literally you're seeing it change. Like from the people who are making fun of people getting the blue check to now they're more getting blue checks because they need it to get paid out. They're, and then they're doing they're, it. You called it. Let's yeah, see. Yeah. It. Let's, do you have an example? I'd, I'd, have, just, to, I'd just... have to look. I'd have to look. But you can see people asking questions that are clearly baiting people to respond. And <laughs> yeah, in football, yeah. it's so easy yeah, because you know yeah. it's it's literally you get two teams fighting each other. Wait, That's hold on, Blau. Fascinating, man. Yeah. Blau, so you called this. You said that most people in this your soccer Twitter world were not blue checks. But they need from, to get from it. From my experience, yeah. They need that Dude, to this is actually huge for X Twitter yeah. because we've talked about it before. Like live sports is like it's one of the biggest moats for X Twitter. Absolutely. Real time commentary and live sports. Everybody's got the second screen now. If people in these communities are realizing they get paid out for their hot takes and engagement, that's because that losing that community would have been a, honestly arguably the most painful thing that could happen ex Twitter. Now it's not gonna happen. Yeah. No, like no, decentralizing and... the Coliseum boys. Yeah. <laughs> but it is really no, I mean uh, all jokes aside though, it is creating this behavior though that I think is generally not very positive in terms of quality yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. Like as a user, because you're seeing people The same memes from Reddit. Yeah. I'm guilty of this stuff. Like the same people are there's so much ripping off going on. Like it's always happened, but it's like so yeah, egregious. People now. are just trying to take, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. But also specifically, like you can steal, they're stealing content, which, you know, borrowing, whatever you want to call it, depends like if you remixed it or not, but, or just straight posted it with their, with trunk fans thumbnail on it, uh, stamped on it. But, but the, the other one is I saw one of these guys I follow, I, I can't find it right now, but he wrote something which was so obviously, you know, to, piss off another team's fans and you can see those people in the replies and then he responds after being like obviously I did this engagement. for engagement yeah. right and it was <laughs> and it's like at least he's he's kind of saying it straight up but long term i guess it comes back to the wider philosophical discussion we've had on the show about like the number going up isn't necessarily always a good thing in terms of that's what the product team is optimizing for it's what elon musk probably is optimizing for so like he says We've had the most, you know, uh, the seconds on platform are the highest it's ever been. I'm sorry, he wrote in the last month or whatever. That might be true, but I think slowly, like long term, if it becomes even more of this sort of behavior where people are just writing fake stuff essentially to get more impressions, to get more money, it just becomes like the rest of the web then, right? Like the, the BuzzFeed and all those sort of sites have been doing this forever. It's not like this is only on Twitter. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, it's it's not all good, obviously, and uh, it's a weird it's a weird incentive as well. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, anything else on the community notes, boys? Before we uh, wrap it up on the Arm IPO. Yes, let's get to Arm, buddy. Jack, any thoughts? You look like you're thinking there. I had something, but I forgot. Let's do the Arm thing. All right, let's do Arm IPO, and maybe we'll have time for that one last philosophical question. Oh yeah, we're gonna do the philosophical one. Let's do that. Arm IPO. Trung, over to you, mate. I know you got two Brits here, and it's a British yeah, company. Yeah, this is for you guys, man. So uh, for Arm, uh, well, how much do you guys know about Arm? I just know it's got something to do with processors, but not like NVIDIA, right? The 
they design they them or designed something? it well yeah. Uh, yeah nvidia also designed so like uh i'll just give you guys tldr this is and the they were also public a long time ago no this is yeah, the second time exactly. we've public so yeah. um arm is the biggest and most important tech company in the uk likely so the Bilal nailed it. It was a public company. So what ARM does is this: they design the architecture for chips that are found in ninety-nine percent of smartphones. So they get paid a speaking of we're talking about royalty. They get paid a royalty for every iPhone that's sold based on their chip design. Yeah. So they design a chip, uh, the architecture the instructions for using it and like how to actually build it. They don't do any building of it themselves. So this company uh, uh, was founded in Cambridge in uh, the mid eighties uh, by uh, a, a gentleman, uh, his name, well, now it's a, now she's a, she, her name is, she's Sophie Wilson. She's known as uh, one of the 10 most important people, females in, in tech history. So what's interesting about uh, the arm historically is that, the chip itself was an accident. So they, they didn't have the tools to build this uh, chip uh, that they wanted. They wanted a low power consumption. So remember that. What do you need in smartphones? You need chips that don't consume a lot of power because it's not a laptop. You're not connected into a wall. You have portable batteries and a low power consumption chip is super valuable. And they basically stumbled into this. Because they wanted to design a chip for a really, really small computer and they didn't have the right tooling. So they basically designed it in the most conservative way possible. And their design, which they had no idea would be this good, ended up being being able to like run on no power. So that's like the, the history behind ARM. To Bilal's point, it was previously public. And uh, the, the the individual that purchased it in 2016 is our old friend Masayoshi-san. <laughs> so when Masa... Uh, got the hundred billion dollar vision fund, and he had to spend it. Uh, his bet was actually on the future of the Internet of Things. You guys remember how crazy the the hype was around the Internet of Things? Oh man, yeah. I worked in an agency back Did when you? that was going crazy. Oh, fuck. like well, give, give us pitch, what was the pitch? What was the pitch? every pitch is like, how are we going to make this work on a fridge? Yeah, yes. what are we going to do? Like, it <laughs> was fridge is the classic example. <laughs> Ridiculous. Or the toaster, <laughs> the toaster as well. Smart All right, home, so you know the bulbs, the fu- yeah. it was just the most ridiculous shit you can imagine. Like any brand had nothing to do with any of that stuff. Didn't know things, yeah. Crazy. No, but you you nailed it, right? I love that you had this background because that was a point, right? Guys, think of six, seven years ago, everything was like, oh, we're gonna have chips in our shoes, we're gonna yeah. have chips in, yeah. in our Costco hats, and like, and again, go back to what we're talking about, arm. They designed the lowest power consumption chips. So if you're going to have a chip in a, in a microwave or a, a smart fridge, you're going to want one that doesn't consume a ton of power, right? Because you don't need a general purpose, uh, like a, a CPU where you can do everything. You just need to like keep the fridge cool, right? So Massey, Massa was making this huge bet on it. So he acquired ARM for $32 billion. It was at the time the largest acquisition of a European tech company ever. So ARM is systemically important, even from a national security side to the UK. So anytime like ARM gets flipped, like the UK, basically national security and tech uh, gov- uh, bureaucracy has to be involved. So a couple of interesting things have happened. NVIDIA, Bilal, you mentioned it. So they are, 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 the, are the largest uh, chip designers 
for GPUs, for video games initially, but now for AI. They tried to buy uh, ARM two years ago, but the regulators came in and said, oh no, you can't do that. This will create a monopoly. Because the thing about ARM is that because they supply so many different customers, especially if we're talking about the smart fridge IoT world, like think about all the customers they had, right? Everybody uses ARM's designs. If NVIDIA owned them, it was so clear to regulators that, oh, if NVIDIA owns ARMs, like ARM supplies all these other people, like now NVIDIA might get priority uh, on, on certain chip designs and that we are not okay with. So NVIDIA was unable to acquire ARM. Massa really needs that cheddar. Like we've talked about before, that dude is taking L's. Like the Vision Fund and SoftBank lost, I think 40 bill last year on their investments in stuff like uh, do you guys know the name of the Uber in China? They called Didi. They took a massive yeah Didi yeah. yeah Didi. It took a massive L on Didi. Took a massive L on WeWork. Uh, took a massive L on all these companies that Massa went crazy on. So now they're trying. They're going to list it, and this will be the biggest IPO of the year, allegedly, most likely. And as we know, 2022 was not great for stocks. 2023 has been better. And people are wondering, will this open up the quote-unquote IPO window? Will people see the demand from the retail market and think that there's more opportunities to go public? Uh, I think this is probably a one-off because of the size of this company. I don't think you can really uh, gleam too much. But the TLDR is that ARM basically needs to get into AI now. So they they, they launched an AI design in, in May. Uh, but now they're trying to go public for 60 to 70 bill. So that's where we're at. That's uh, nice. that's a TLDR on ARM. Love Very it. Very good. Good little good background. TLDR there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, beautiful. It's a, and it, the, the only thing to mention, you may, maybe you did mention this and I was zoned out, but because uh, <laughs> I was reading our next topic here. Yeah. But uh, of course. the fact that it's not going on the British, on the UK stock exchange, did you just mention this? I didn't mention that. No, but uh, that is, but that that is, is a big point of kind of an interesting yeah. point, right? Because it, I was talking about this with someone on the weekend who's a, a British guy. We were kind of talking about the good old days of the UK and um, how it feels really like they're really struggling. Like he he still lives there um, and he actually works in banking. So we, we were talking about how just the difference between the UK and the US. And I know we've talked about in the pod a bunch of times and I'm sure there's lots of great things still going on, but his sentiment was really... Just like there's a lot of things just that don't make sense there at the moment. And I think especially after Brexit, he's feeling a lot of that kind of soft power has moved away. And it, it feels like a delayed thing, but it makes a lot of sense for ARM to IP over here in many ways. But yeah, it's another kind of hit to... It's a blow. Like, it's a blow, right? Yeah. England. Well, I don't know if you guys saw. Go ahead, Jack. So I don't know how much of a line of questioning this opens up, but what is the... Like they re-establish themselves as a business in the states, so like like have a proxy entity it's in the still states. Money. It's still no, you can just they want the more liquid U.S. capital markets, but they're still going to be based in. in so in they GMA. just get they it goes public here, people get a chance to buy it. So there's just a bigger yeah. market, I guess. Jack, good so, question though. And and it's going on what where? Nasdaq. Nasdaq, yeah. So Nasdaq is a private company, correct? Yeah, Nasdaq is. But the, well, this, yeah, we should do an episode on this, Trung, where you explain this shit. The, where, the, like, the, people, the, yeah, 
exchanges the exchange business and how, how they, they make their money. fees and oh my god insane. Really I'll, actually, I'll tease something for listeners actually the exchange businesses have turned into one of the biggest uh, uh influential parts of the market like they wield so much power that people don't even understand yeah the like app the, stores the of the financial yeah. market <laughs> the app store yeah, the, yeah. literally <laughs> no like you used to like you know investment banks used to hold this privileged position in like the finance world but then 2008 happened all this regulation like exchanges have sneakily become like the kingmakers mm-hmm. uh, but we could talk about that it makes and- a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense 100% and that's a great episode we'll do and, that next week and just have vampire like vampire all of this stuff like develop great technology anywhere in the world and then just have the, the magnetic all exactly. network effect it's crazy yeah love it dude so uh let's yeah well, i've added that we should, let's uh no i'll save that for next week so we can break it down did you have a question about arm no 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 i was going to move on to the last question but go on you finish what you're going to say uh yeah, I think it's a fascinating, uh, 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 Jack brought up a great point about the UK and, you know, at, at Bilal, you mentioned the good old days. Cause they actually look, if you look at the FTSE, the FTSE, which is the main stock exchange in England, uh, I guess, London, I mean, it's like not great companies, right? It's like consumers. Uh, it, I think, I think the biggest companies on the FTSE are the biggest market caps as a percentage are like mining oil because London is still very central for those industries. Uh, and then you might have, uh, uh, consumer goods. Um, you know what, let's pull it up quickly, man. Um, I was just looking that up. Yeah. Uh, let's see see top holdings companies in here. Banks, banks, you probably have a lot of shell. Okay. So top here, are the top companies, shell, AstraZeneca, pharma, HSBC bank, British American tobacco consumer, Diageo consumer, Unilever. Tobacco, that's filth, isn't it? Yeah, it's filth. BP, yeah, ton, Rio Tinto. Yeah, it's banks, mining, and oil, and like tobacco. So, to Bilal's Old point, school industry. Yeah, like, we need been there for yeah. hundreds of years. Yeah, unreal. Dude, the, the, uh, yeah, not getting arm is a bit of an L, man. But um, anyways, that was a little sense, TLDR. Though. If I was yeah. them, I'd probably do the same. Why, thing, why not do that exactly? I don't, I don't know. I understand enough about it. What the upside would be of doing it in the uk but probably apart from like pride of patriotism from yeah. well, well yeah. how how easy is it to get exposure you can do to this. no i'm saying i'm saying like how the typical pension plan in the uk let's say i don't expect anyone to have an answer for this but it's like does that have majority of its exposure to american equities or a good amount i think it's both it's there's both. a lot I've of got, home... i've got like an old uk pension account and i used to have but you could basically get access to most of the global stuff nowadays especially if you open like a vanguard like even vanguards in the uk now when i was there i don't know if they did or it wasn't but as jack, popular, but... is jack referring specifically to the corporate and endowments i think i'm just referring to i just think all of this shit is so fucking silly man it's like get this on ethereum asap <laughs> on eve get pay that 30 percent or pay that get 12, it on get it on base three. Yeah, get it on base. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This is no, the opposite fasc- of Ethereum. It is, it is fascinating how these like brand names essentially are the distributors of these things. It's just, I would love to Dude, do an episode on that, Tron. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I'm going to come deep next Let's week. Get school. That might and be I'll a send... sat post breakdown as well. Yeah, but no, but we I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you questions to ping me so we there can we have go. a nice All right, perfect. All right, let's, let's do, do last one. talking of questions. Last question here for us, boys. Jack, I think you shared this in the group chat. Incredible 
uh, chat here. So I'll oh, just- Oh man, this is like, somebody should steal this for like the closing question of their podcast. You know, people do that. Like, do you, do you believe in aliens or whatever? This yeah, is yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Like the pop question that you yeah. always ask that one. Yeah. yeah, so Tyler Alterman, at Tyler Alterman said, when did you first discover the malleability of, so of social reality? For me, it was when I did my Eagle Scout project, building a boardwalk. I was, I was advised to call out lumber yards and ask for wood for free. I did, and the lumber yards were just like, okay. In the second tweet, I also called up a cinder block place to donate cinder blocks, and they were also like, okay. Altogether, these places donated thousands of dollars of free stuff to me, a 17-year-old. And so I guess the question was, when, when did you, has there been a moment where you realized that as well? Let's talk about what do you think he means malleability of social reality? Because his two examples are basically asking for something, and then mm -hmm. you just... His examples to me just suggest uh, don't let that blocker in your head where you. This is how the answer. world works. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is how the world works. It's like, the I, I'm just going to say, no, I'm not going to try. Like, is it that? Or is it just like when you realize, oh, like, okay, my perception of the world is wrong, right? I'll answer that second one. I think yeah. that is. So I'll tell you the one where I realized you guys will laugh. When I realized that, uh, like, there's systems in place and, like, like no one none of it really made sense with do you guys ever do you ever guys ever have columbia house where you pick uh cds and they send you like five it was like an early subscription thing right so you pick three cds they'll send it to you that was like netflix then, old school for dvds yeah. i guess so it's like free and then like you have to commit but then but then the next month or the next six months the next 10 you get you got to pay right and that's how they make their money uh you guys never had that i'm sure some no, but they had something it. similar yeah i know what you're talking yeah. about so here's what i did the person that lived next to us many years ago when I was growing up, uh, was it, it was an abandoned house or they didn't live there anymore. It was a vacant house. And so the key with this Columbia house thing was you send CDs to a house, right? That's how you hook them. Uh, this free CDs. I just started sending free CDs to my neighbor's house. And I just go, I know nobody's there. I just walk over one day and grab, Oh, lots of free CDs. So like more free CDs for me. So that's when I realized I'm like, Oh, like the systems in place here, like they kind of make no sense. And like, nobody's really watching anything. And I'll tell you what's funny about that is uh, I should give Rafa the clip, but Curb Your Enthusiasm made fun of that exact same thing. Uh, so Leon, uh, the the Larry's friend in Curb, was uh, pretending to like rip Larry for like being a sketchy uh, individual. And uh, one of the things he said was like, you're the type of person that would like send CDs to like your neighbor's house. And then like you go over and grab them and pretend like they're yours. So anyways, uh, that was like my, that's probably eight or nine. And I was like, oh, the world is like kind of just- You can find like, ways around autopilot. it. Yeah. It's just an autopilot. So I don't know if yeah. it's the same, but uh, I'll, I'll send it off to uh, uh, you guys. I like that going to the neighbors. We have, I feel, Jack, have you ever, I've definitely done that as well. Sending stuff to neighbors. So yeah. I did a, I have a like, good, well, I have a good SIM uh, cards, but I'll tell you mine after. Go on, go on, Jack. Go on. I have a good uh, delivery story I can't say on the podcast. So <laughs> can't say on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it next Christ. time. We next time we meet up. All uh, right, got it. The malleability thing. The starkest example for me was when I first was living in New York. I started working for my my first agency job, and this guy that I was working for was pitching a Ralph Lauren. Um, what's the, what's like a campaign for Ralph Lauren and did a casting call for models for this campaign we're going to shoot. Right. And he's just like, Oh yeah, just call up a talent agency and say, 
we're doing, we're casting for Ralph Lauren. Here's the address. Come here on Saturday. Go there on Saturday. Like 40 models show up to this room in West Chelsea. And he's like, check them in and do like photos and all that stuff. And I'm just like sitting there like, how did, how did you get people to show up to this thing? He's like, oh, this is, that's how it works. You know, like this idea of transferred credibility through I'm doing like the contract didn't exist. Right. It's like a implication that there's an opportunity. People show up for it. Blew my mind. Well, how old were you? 21. I like that. That's a great example. The, uh, the name, this guy's just spit. You know what it's like? It's like when startups like put the logos of companies they work with. Even yeah. if they haven't worked with them, or if they deliver like the small, like or even if like, they oh. haven't worked, they, they use Gmail. They use Gmail. Oh, yeah. They put Google on the thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a partner <laughs> of partner Yo, with. That's funny. Bro, I'm stealing that for Billy. That's so good. I'm gonna be like partnered with Gmail. Oh my goodness! <laughs> partner with Google. Yeah. Partner with Alphabet. Make it even yeah. sound more B2B you know, oh. official. You know, the, another great example. Of this is outsiders. Um, Portnoy putting fake ads in the first magazine he made. It's like, oh, you didn't, yeah, 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 didn't yeah. get paid by the advertisers, but just plugging businesses for free. You have that transferred credibility. Like some of this stuff is, you know, dubious, right? Like Columbia house neighbor stuff, little bit gray area. Yeah. yeah. But- I'm saying, I'm saying like the, there is this, and I'm like hesitant to use this stuff as well. Like I worked with, probably one of the biggest, most recognized brands in the world in my advertising career. And as a, like an agency owner, and I always be so hesitant to be like, Oh, I'm not going to go in with that. I'm just going to leave with the work and blah, blah, blah. It's like, as soon as you start just dropping that name, everyone's like, yeah, yeah where, where do I go. sign? You know, it's like, that is as much as you, if you love it, hate it, whatever your reaction is to it, that is how people's brains work. And it's I a think- It's a shortcut of the brain. Like that's, it, it's needed. It carries so much equity. And obviously there is no recommendation to use that to mislead people, but like lean into it if you do have that credibility and it just completely like massively accelerates your access to opportunity. 100%, 100%. Uh, I don't know if my answer is exactly, because the question was a little bit of a funny funnily worded question but i'll just quickly say on the sending stuff to neighbors 100 percent that that was one of the first things on the internet where i made money was selling sim cards on ebay i don't know if we ever talked about that but uh, i would sell it at school these uh o2 genie sim cards i don't jack did we of course man of course so i do yeah. if for the old school uk people what was O2, on that again it's it like was 300 300 free text you top up 10 pound a month you get 30 pounds worth of text because it was 10p a text at time so the pitch was easy you'd be like oh you you basically you're going to make 30 pounds worth of text by buying a 10 pound sim card right so i would sell them a score and just get them people pay five ten pounds whatever that was great but then i found a way where you could go on o2.co.uk and request six free sim cards as a student right so <laughs> if, if you and i was a student so i got six yeah, of nice. those requested it sent it to home and then i found a way i was like all right let me send them next door i've got another six then sent it to my grandma's house bling king baby yeah but then (laughs) what i realized was was there was actually this is before people really were selling ebooks or information products if you want to call it that (laughs) 2003 or four um and what i did was i was like i wonder if 
Like I was like, why am I just selling the SIM cards and sending it in the post? Like I can just tell people how to do it. If they're willing to pay for that information, I'll clearly say I have a way of doing it. So I basically created a listing. And again, look, I was like 15 or 16. So don't, this is a, uh, I don't want this to come up as like a negative way, but I made a listing on eBay of like a sale of information, how to get six SIM cards worth X amount. And it was, that's how they were worth 10 pounds each. And the saving hey, overall was, was yeah, 30. And I put in it's there a like- consulting fee. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and it was, so basically they uh, would pay. It was an auction. So it started at 99p and people would pay. Sometimes people paid like 20 pounds. It would just keep going. And I, and I had a 100% feedback score. Everyone got, the, I, I had it. like an email that I would copy and paste, send it over to them. Say, say let me know if you have any issues. And so that was the first time I, uh, I, I was you like, oh, wait you a minute. Bend the world to your will. <laughs> yeah. That you could, in the words of Steve Jobs, you can make a dent, dent in the universe. Yeah. yeah, I wish it was that level. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't even know if that answered the question, but it was just based on your example. And then the, I'll just mention one last one was the I've always looked out for this where people say, um, well, I wrote it down here. Why wouldn't they just do it themselves? And so yeah, yeah. even this week, literally this weekend, I'm talking to people about what I do on the agency side and they're like, oh, what don't they just hire people internally for that or blah, blah, blah. And it's people just it's don't understand always how it, how it works because it is kind of a black box to a lot of people. But the time I remember doing it is even just like selling CDs at school. People could download music and burn on CD. But there were two parts to that. One, knowing which music to pick, being a curator of taste. And two, it was just the effort of like buying the CD, buying a CDR writer, and doing it so people were willing to spend five pounds on that and they would get a banging Bilal's mixtape back in the day you know so that was one but the one when i started street vibes the uh e-commerce store when i started street vibes, yeah, <laughs> vibes. Um, this one was interesting because i would be calling up factories right so like china and, and so i'd be asking like oh i i have a tiny little store i want to buy like let's say tracksuit or hats or whatever and they would always say, oh, you have to spend, you have to have like a minimum of a hundred pieces or a thousand pieces, whatever. And I obviously didn't have money for that. So eventually I started just going to my local, there's a place, Wolfhamstone Market is the longest street market in Europe. And there's these actual stores that sell clothes and stuff as well. So I just started going and talking to those guys and trying to understand how they get their supplies. And I was like, look, I'm selling this on the internet. I don't have the money to buy the wholesale stuff, but could I take pictures of your stuff? I'll put it online. If it sells, I'll come here. Can we agree a price? So it was kind of getting a wholesale price or slightly above wholesale price, but with no capital, Legend. you know, uh, commitment. Hey. So that was the first time I was like, oh, I can actually just go and ask someone. And if they say no, they, they said no. That's an answer. That's a, that's a direct answer yeah. to the guy's question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey Bilal, what was the URL of Street Vibes? Do you remember? Uh, streetvibes.com but it was a street dash vibes I think and it was with a Z but I also owned the S uh, street vibes with S vibes but you can see it. the archive yeah it's a terrible terrible website but it was on built on OS commerce open source commerce was a big fan of the open web at the time but yeah it, people you, if man. people look that up it's a little embarrassing because it looks really really bad but um, mate it's in 2008 you gotta wear that with pride 2004 Incredible. originally that, that might be the first uh it I'm was dot co.uk originally I'm on the 2008 yeah. snapshot right yeah, now. yeah that's that's not up. that bad yeah right. <laughs> anyway so uh <laughs> end of episode but yeah that was that was a fun one as well but i think that was the question that was a really good question about like even this weekend my friend is like oh don't they need you to do x and i was like 
Yeah, but they they need to know you're doing the work that you've promised or you're the result that you've promised. And your assumption is as an employee, you have to be in a chair all day and send a report at the end of the week. My assumption is I ask them clearly what they need and I will provide that to them. And it's irregardless of how I how I did it. Do you know what I'm saying? So that I think that's the question I tried to find. Uh, that's a great answer, dude. That was a, ended up being a great example so. of right, Bilal bending the world to his will. There we go. All right, boys. Good good chat this week. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys again next week. Cheers. Yeah, that was great, guys.